Overall, this is the best jobs report that we've seen since 2007. And, and this is good news, just in time for the season of hope. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Hannah Joffe-Walt. Today is Friday, December 4th. And that was President Barack Obama you heard at the top of the podcast. He was talking about the most recent unemployment report, which showed that unemployment dropped slightly this month to 10%. On the podcast today, Japan's largest private equity group is not who you think if you ever thought about who Japan's largest private <laughs> equity group is. <laughs> Which you most likely have not. But now you will not have to because it is coming up right after our planet money indicator. The indicator is $1 to $3 million a month. And you may notice there's some imprecision there. Uh, it might be $1 million. It could be twice that. It could be three times that. And that is because this money is not recorded on any tax forms. It's not reported to any government agency. It is how much Japan's largest organized crime group, the Yamaguchi Gumi, collects each month from its members. And uh, it's not, as you can tell from the indicator, a tiny little uh, club. The Yamaguchi Gumi has 40,000 members. I'm going to call them gangsters, 40,000 gangsters. And it is one of the many mafias in Japan, which over there are called Yakuza groups. That's the term for organized crime. And Jake Adelstein, our star of today's podcast, has spent a decade covering the Yakuza's financial transactions and crime as much as he possibly can find out. Adelstein is an American. He actually he moved to Japan in his early 20s. He went there to sort of hang out and find himself, and he started learning Japanese. And he has wound up many years later in the strange position of being one of the only non-Japanese reporters for a major newspaper in Tokyo, and he covers crime. And he's just published a book called Tokyo Vice, so he's been making the media rounds, talking about this book. And everyone wants to talk to him about gangsters with tattoos and missing fingers and... Snore. That's so boring, <laughs> tattoos, missing fingers. We wanted to know about the money because it's a lot of money and it's actually pretty complicated and weird. And it didn't used to be, which was really surprising to me. Adelson says... There were much simpler times in the life of a Japanese mobster. Things in the good old days used to be a lot simpler. You just paid that one to three million to headquarters, and then headquarters used it to run the business. Yeah, businesses like pharmaceuticals. By that I mean drugs. Also, uh, they were in the massage business, prostitution, also blackmail and gambling. Exactly, and that was the bulk of Japan's organized crime. Simple, easy, until. 1993. Adelstein says, in 1993, everything changed. In 1993, the Japanese government um, put down the first anti-organized crime laws, which didn't outlaw the Yakuza, right? They still exist as legal entities, which is why they can have offices and, and, and the, you know, a headquarters that are the size of a city block. Um, when you can see the, the Yamaguchi Gumi headquarters from Google Earth in Kobe. Really? Yeah, yeah it's pretty impressive. Uh, it's pretty scary to actually walk around there. It's like a giant fortress, uh, security cameras, you know, g giant gated walls, uh, a huge gated community in a sense. So the laws are essentially like you cannot put up your organization emblem. Uh, if you threaten people using, you know, the name of your organization, you know, 
you know, you'll get a warning. And if you do it three times, you might actually even be arrested or fined. I mean, it's a very incremental step to, uh, to suppress organized crime. But the, the result of them not being able to display their company emblem, and each, of, each you know, organized crime group has a logo, um, which intimidates people, it was that they started setting up these front companies, meaning like companies, you know, uh, that were transparently, you know, Yakuza outfits, but with, you know, different corporate names and actually registering as corporations. So, for example, you'd have a company like Takada Gumi, which is part of the Inagawa Kai, and that would become Takada Enterprises. Um, and that's so, sort of, so with the actual name? Yeah, the with the actual name. name but the instead same of, name as a, a leader or the same name as the, a group? The same name as the organization or the leader of the organization, but not with the with the, the kumi at the end that, you know, or, or ika, what are the things that demonstrate that it's an organized crime group, right? Slightly different name. Instead, you'd, you'd replace the kumi with an ink. Yeah, yeah. Or enterprises. Or enterprises <laughs> or, you know, or corporation. They like corporation. And did it actually change the structure of the organization that it was now a corporation? Yeah, as yes, but to you had by the time the real estate boom was beginning in 1998, uh, um, Takumi Masaru, who was a, a brilliant uh, strategist in the Yamaguchi Gumi, said, you know, the famous words, from now on, in the first thing Yakuza does when he gets up in the mornings and he reads the need, or he needs to read the Nikkei newspaper. And that's like the Japan Business Times. Wow. And that's really but when they when you begin to see them getting into areas where they weren't there before, like um, buying stocks, um, cornering the stock market, um, making investments, uh, basically doing some insider trading. And in the year 2000, when Prime Minister Koizumi um, relaxed Japan's financial laws, you know, they had the financial big bang, that's let the Yakuza move in in a way that they that no one had anticipated they would move in. So before 1993, you had organized crime that was what we think of it as extortion, bribery, kind of pushing people around with your power and with the threat of violence. Yeah, I mean that was that was the you know that was the the old fashioned lovable mafia, right? You know, a little protection money here, a little legal gambling here and there. And then actually, this anti-organized crime law pushed them more into sort of the official corporate world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it had this unexpected effect of, like, moving them into areas where they weren't really active before. Because you set up a company, right, a dummy company, and suddenly people who don't realize it's a dummy company start, like, calling you, like, you know, asking for business. And they're like, wow, what a great way to do this. All the things that we used to do uh, are use of, you know, are, are do secondhand, like um, rig, do bid rigging and stuff. We could, we could, we could, Break the bids ourselves. We don't need a middleman. Um, and so from that point on, they started really going into, you know, into the financial world, into areas you didn't normally expect to see them doing things. So are these companies all over the place? Um, the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department put together a list of the front companies in Tokyo in 2006, and that had a list of 957. And, you know, everything is on the list from um, construction companies to real estate firms to in investment firms, securities companies, auditing firms, and, and things that you wouldn't expect, like a bakery. Um, uh, the Yakuza have run things like a chain of takoyaki, which are kind of like fried octopus balls. Um, that's another, you know, thing that they use. When you're looking at their front companies, there's, there's a couple of different kinds. There are companies that are primarily to, to launder money, 
I mean, their, their sole purpose is to take the, you know, the, the money that's made from illegal activities like gambling and prostitution or human trafficking and turn that into clean monies that can be invested or put in a, put in a bank account somewhere. And then there are ones that are used as a platform for rigging the stock market. Um, and in that case... The, the, in what way? What? I mean, the, the classic thing that you'll see with, with, the, Yakuza front, with the Yakuza Front Company, uh, um, I won't go into details, but there was a, a group of companies uh, centered around uh, a company called Ryozan Paku that essentially bought each other's stock and pumped up the price. And as soon as the price got high, they sold the stocks at a profit. And one thing that you wrote about was that um, one of the effects of the of the existence of organized crime is that when international companies want to set up an operation in Japan, they often can get tied to organized crime without even realizing it. So could you could you talk me through that? Lehman Brothers l- l- basically loaned $350 million to this firm called Asclepius, which was like a hospital re- revitalization unit. Um, and What does that mean, a hospital well, revitalization? Well, basically, they, you know, they're like a fund that buys hospitals and then it takes, you know, ailing hospitals over and revamps the management and makes them functioning and profitable again. So Lehman Brothers loaned them money. Loaned them money, yeah. And one of the reasons they loaned them this money is because Asclepius insisted that they had the support of Marubeni. And Marubeni is one of Japan's oldest trading firms. And Asclepius had actual employees at Marubeni set up a meeting with a fake executive, like an actor pretending to be a Marubeni executive in the Marubeni offices. So, you know, Lehman, the Lehman executives are coming there and meeting with this guy who's supposed to be representing, you know, uh, one department of Marubeni. So they, so they feel like even though there's something a little strange about this deal, that, you know, with the backing of this giant trade firm behind it, that they should be okay. Um, so, so what you're saying is that Lehman Brothers sets up a, an operation in Japan. Yes, Lehman Brothers. And a, and a Yakuza front company tries to get them to loan them $350 million by putting fake employees in Lehman, putting fake employees in, in a, in a in different Mar- company that yes. looked very trustworthy, that Lehman trusted. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. S- and setting up fake CEO meetings, and then they got the loan. Yeah, not say CEO, like senior executive meetings. Yes, they got the loan. Then one day, you know, the loan's supposed to be repaid. The repayment doesn't come. The, you know, the, the Lehman brother executives, you know, the Lehman brother guy who's handling the deal storms over to Marabeni says, what's happening? People at the top of Marabeni says, like, we don't know the person you're talking about. The, this guy who was called Saito Bucho, like the, the Saito department head who was supposed to be facilitating this deal. They call in this, you know, department head and it, it's a different department head than, than they've been meeting, right? It's not the guy they've been seeing. I mean, it was a classic sting and that was orchestrated by, uh, by, by organized crime. Um, just in order to arrange this deal. Just in order to arrange this. And, you know, and, and, and the, the That's so po- much work. It's so much work, but the, but the prize is so much. I mean, $350 million, that's a, that's, a, that's a huge amount of money. And what happened with the $350 million? You know, the, the, you know, supposedly the police investigation says that they've accounted for, like, you know, a lot of the money went to pay back Asclepius' debts, right? Um, companies that they had, uh, you know, s- subsidiaries of the group. Um but nobody really knows where the money is. And even at the end of the day, the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department still has like $100 million that is unaccounted for. So um, wh- one other thing that you write about is the way in which um, labor has become more global. So, so you would have the Yakuza and you'd have all of their staff, or I don't know how they're referred to, at the Japanese people. And now that's, that's expanding. I mean – I wouldn't say labor in terms of like when you're when they're scheduling when they want someone killed. Uh, they're very happy to bring in someone from China to do the job and send them back. Uh, it, there's less evidence left that way. 
No way. Yeah, I mean, outsourcing assassinations is becoming very popular. Outsourcing killings to Chinese workers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, skilled Chinese workers. They have some job skills. Um, okay, here's an example. Wait, does that really happen? Yeah, it really happens. Yeah. Is that <laughs> is that because like all other outsourcing to China because it's cheaper or oh sure it's cheaper look when when you know one I mean, of the but things if you're the yakuza do you have to pay somebody to do a killing for you anyway if 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 you're if you have like a gang war and one of your yakuza guys kills a rival gang member you are responsible if he doesn't get the death penalty and usually they don't you are responsible for taking care of that guy's family the entire time he's in jail and you have to and you also have to promote him when he gets out and give him a cash reward for time served if he doesn't rat anybody out. And that cash reward can be anywhere between $300,000 to, um, depending upon his status at the time, a million dollars. That's very expensive. It's much cheaper. You to, mean to protect the – that's how much it costs to protect the family? No, no. That's how much you, that's how much you have to pay him in kind of honorariums when he gets out. When he gets out. Okay. So somebody who hasn't been able to work for many years. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, like you, know, you, if you kill a rival gang member on behalf of the organization – then, of course, your reward is that the gang will look after your family while you're in jail. And then when you come out, you, you rise, you know, in the executive hierarchy and you get a reward for your time spent in jail. And that reward is a very substantial amount of money. Uh, otherwise, people wouldn't be willing to do it. Um, it's not all about loyalty. You know, I mean, there's this stuff about the samurai tradition and, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the father of your gang, the Oyabun, being like your own father. And, of course, you would lay your life on the line for him. But there's also a, a huge cash incentive to do your time um, when, when it's necessary. And it, it's not even involving a killing. But, but killings are the ones that take the longest time. So if you're looking at the cost-benefit analysis here, it's much cheaper to find someone in China who is good to do the killing, get them a passport, bring them into country, tell them who to kill, let them do it, then fly them back. Uh, then even if the police have a good lead, how are they going to find this guy? It's not like the, Je- the Chinese government is going to cooperate with the Japanese police. So the Chinese worker is cheaper because you don't have to pay him once he gets out of jail as a sort of honorary. Yeah, 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 because he's not going to go in jail because he's out of the country. You're hoping he'll never be found. What's your sense? I mean, I, I guess the the obvious answer to this question is is that they have you know political ties and power. But what's your sense on a broader, you know, looking at it? What's your sense sort of looking at it, stepping back from that, of why this has been allowed to continue and be such a big part of Japanese culture and money? You know, I'm, obviously they have ties and they have power to, to – they have ties to powerful people. But but what in sort of a bigger picture sense, why is this allowed to happen? Well, oh, they're doing what they do, which is make money by any means possible. And they're very – and they're very – there's a large number of people and you have huge – bills to pay because you have to pay retirement to these people and things. Um, and the Japanese police are handicapped. They don't have the tools to investigate these people. Um, in the United States, what did the FBI use to bring down the mafia? They used wiretapping. They used plea bargaining. They used a witness relocation program. Why are all those things important? Because you can't get the people at the bottom to narc at the people on the top um, unless you can offer them some incentive to do it. You know, we, we, won't, we won't charge you. Um, We'll move you somewhere where you'll be safe, so you don't have to fear being killed. We'll take care of you. Well, in Japan, that has none of the, the Japanese police can offer none of those things. Um, 
Why? No, because because they don't have it on the books. The Japanese prosecutors and the Ministry of Justice is like, no, plea bargaining is is an aberration. It's something that the Americans do. We would never do. So there's no reward for confessing or ratting out the people above you. And as a matter of fact, um, since there's no witness relocation program or no witness protection program, uh, the odds are good that you might be brutalized or killed when you get out of jail. Um, so without the attraction of a lesser sentence or the, or, or the promise of a new life, why would anyone confess to anything um, other than what they themselves did? It doesn't make any sense. What what makes you personally interested in this? I mean, I know you sort of like sounds like you fell into this a little bit, but now you've been doing it for many years. What makes it exciting to you? Why is why well, you become the organized crime guy? Well, I mean, there are Japanese writers that are very, very good at writing about this. There's Ari Mori. There's Suzuki Tomohiko. Um, you know, I've got a couple books here that are that are um, really wonderful books in Japanese about about it, and they're they're useful to me. I'm interested in what I like to call the nine-fingered economy because I'm fascinated at how smart these guys are. Um, Lehman Brothers Japan, before it went under, was ripped off $350 million. Um, and the amount of time and planning and effort that went into that operation, I mean, that amount of planning and sort of Professor Moriarty-like intelligence and scheming, it's interesting as a as a journalist, right, peeling away the layers of uh, subterfuge, I always say that word wrong, that are used to disguise the Yakuza economic operations is fascinating. I mean, it's like a reading a, a, like a, a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> mystery novel, right? And David Adelstein is actually going to be writing that novel next, and it's not a novel. It is nonfiction, but his next book is going to focus all on peeling away all of these layers of economic activity, much like we do here on Planet Money. I think it could be a thriller. I think you just wrote the thriller book. This book is for uh, the dorks among us. All right. I think that's going to do it for us here today on Planet Money. If you go to our blog, npr.org slash money, we have more on today's unemployment report as well as stories from you about your own job searches. And if you have a story to tell us about your job search, you can email it to us at planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Fana Joffrey Walt. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Life's a game, but it's not fair. I break through.